we're greater than we are. The Bible tells us a man should not think more of himself than he ought to think. But sometimes we ought to compare ourselves to the most needy person in these stories. And that's often what God desires of us. So I'm going to share a very familiar story from the Bible. We're going to Luke, the 10th chapter, and we'll begin at verse 25. And I'm praying that I'm going to give you a different perspective. Because of all the characters that we mention and that we note and that we talk about and that we exegete and give all this type of analysis to, one of the primary characters in the story we seem to neglect and we don't talk much about. But we're going to talk about that character on today. Luke 10 and 25 tells us the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10 and 25 from the English Standard Version reads like this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Let me go back over that because this is telling us what God wants. We talked about he wants it all. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28 says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But verse 29 says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus said, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. I want to talk to you for a few moments from the thought, the question, who is your neighbor? Why don't you point at somebody and say, who is your neighbor? Oh, let's make it more personal. Point at somebody else and say, am I your neighbor? Am I your neighbor? Am I your neighbor? I'm going to start from the, from the end and then go back to the beginning, remind you, reminding you that at the end of this story, he questioned the man who had questioned him and asked him who was the neighbor. And he was said, the one who showed compassion. 
So not, did not only Jesus give him the answer to the question, but then Jesus gave him a directive. He said, you go and you do likewise. You behave yourself like the Samaritan. And at the end of this, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get the thought, you go and you do likewise. Going back to the beginning of this story, it doesn't actually start with the parable. It goes, it goes back to the man who was trying to justify himself. Jesus asked the man, he said, uh, what does the Bible say that you should do that you should enter into the kingdom of heaven? And he says, he tells us, he goes, I shall love the Lord God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my might. And I, I should love my neighbor as I love myself. That's a lot. You, you begin to review each phrase by phrase. It, that, that's a lot that, that the Bible is requiring of us, that he is expecting of us if we desire to be with him. We have to love the Lord our God and sometimes with all our heart, with all our might, with all our, our strength, with all our mind. And, and some of us are like, oh, yes, I do that. But when you break it down phrase by phrase, it's asking different things of you. Because to take all of your might and to take all of your strength, what he's really asking for, he said, I desire your time. God said, I desire. Let me rephrase that. I don't desire, but I expect your time. And many things we'll give to God, but one of the things that we give him as little as possible is our time. Some of you would rather give God your money than to give him your time. And the reason for that is that I tell you the most valuable asset that anybody has in here is not your money, <laughs> but it's your time. Steve Jobs had all the money that any person could expect or desire, but he ran out of time. So the one thing that he could replenish was his money. He could get more money. He can earn more money. And each of you can earn more money. But you can't pay for more time. So when God is saying, what I desire from you is your most valuable asset, he is not talking about your money. He's talking about your time. And then the question comes that I often ask, how much of your time? Did you give God on this past week? How much of your time did you give God this past week? Some of us, the only time we give him is when we walk inside these doors. But God deserves more of your time. Uh, let me help you. Some, some of us, we may, we may get down on our knees and pray for a couple minutes, or we might only say our prayer before we eat. But I came to tell you, God deserves more of your time. I don't have the breakdown in front of me, but, but Brother Osborne reminded me not, not a couple months ago, a sermon that we, we preached and we talked about the amount, if you break down your work and you break down your sleep, and we talked about almost every week, if you break it down, you have a good 80 hours of time that's not devoted to sleep, that's not devoted to work, 
but that belongs to you. And I question you right now, let's even cut it in half. How much of the 40 hours that you had this week did you give to God? God appreciates your money, but he desires your time. So when we're saying, I'm giving God my, my heart, my soul, my mind, he's just not talking about an emotional thing. Because where your heart is, there, there your treasure is. The things that you find most important. If it's really important to you, that's what you give to someone that you really love. Come on now, yeah. If you're in a relationship, you, you don't mind getting gifts, but you'd be suspicious if the person you're in a relationship only gave you gifts and money, but never gave you any time. Come on. Tony Braxton said, uh, love should have brought you home last night. Come on. She's saying, I, I appreciate your gifts. I appreciate your money. I, I appreciate the valentine that you sent me. I, I appreciate the flowers that, are, that arrive. But she said, if we're really in a relationship, you should prioritize giving me your time. Giving me your time. And if you love God and if you love the person in the relationship, then you'll prioritize giving them your time. Let me tell you this, I, 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 I love preaching, I, I love ministering, I, and many times I'm asked for assignments to go other places and to do other things, and the first thing that I say when somebody asks me, I say, let me talk to my wife. <laughs> the reason I, I, I say that is not to put them off. Now, some people do that just to put people off. I don't do that. I'm saying that because when it comes to prioritizing things, my wife is a priority in giving of my time. Oh, come on. <laughs> so I, I, I check with her. I say, is this going to work out? Is this going to be okay? Because I'm clicking off the priorities in how I give of my time. Come on now. So, so when we understand the priority of time, even over money, the, the question that we need to ask ourselves every week, are we giving God enough? of our time. You love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with, with your, all your soul. If you do, then you'll give God more time. Point at somebody and say, if you love him like you say you do, you'll give him more time. He deserves. He deserves your time. Why does he deserve my time? But just simple mathematics. The Bible tells me he purchased me. I belong to him. So since he purchased me, and I, we said the other week, he paid full price for you too. He, you didn't come on a discount. You didn't come on a sale. Because he purchased me, I should prioritize giving him my time. So here, 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 the, here the man is asking of God, what do I do to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And, and, and the Lord is speaking to him, and he, and he repeats back to him the scripture, heart, mind, soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And that is a big one because a lot of us don't get there. I'll tell you it's difficult, but I'll tell you that's what God requires. It's hard to love your neighbor as yourself. It's hard to esteem your neighbor the way that you esteem yourself. The reason I know it's hard is because sometimes we get on social media and don't let somebody mess up. 
We're happy to spread other people's gossip. Don't let them slip up. Don't let them have a fault. Because everybody got an opinion. Even before they even know all the facts. But everybody got an opinion. And they'll be ready. They'll be quick. We're quick to drag people through the mud. When we don't even know all the facts. Is that us treating our neighbor as we would treat ourselves? Sometimes it's almost like we take joy when somebody that we esteem, and I'm coming down your lane right here, we esteem to have more than we do. If they fall, we're really ready to go after them. We're ready to express our opinion. We're like the crabs in the barrel. We can't wait to latch on to a leg and pull somebody else down. But is that us treating our neighbors as we treat ourselves? Because I tell you this, the amount of grace we have for others often does not compare to the amount of grace we have for ourselves. The amount of grace we have for others often does not compare to the amount of grace we have for ourselves. Oh, you mess up, you'll be quick to say, well... God knew my heart. God knows I was doing my very best. We're quick to extend mercy in our own direction, but if it's somebody else, like, Ooh, I always knew they weren't up to no good. They just trying to, they acting just like they daddy. I knew it was coming. I don't know what they were thinking. But you don't ever ask yourself, what was, what was I thinking? But you're asking, what, what were they thinking? What, what were their motives? We don't extend the same amount of mercy in the direction of other people that we do in our own direction. That is not treating your neighbor as you would treat yourself. When you need help. Come on. When you need help, you expect help to be extended in your direction. But if somebody else needs help, you got a whole lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you bought that car a few years ago. You can't afford it anymore, can you? What, what were you thinking? Got a lot of questions. And we've got a lot of judgment. But we don't have the same amount of questions and judgment for ourselves. When we need help with the Lord, just, Lord, help me, help me, Lord. We're expecting help to come when oftentimes the reason we need help is because we didn't ask God in the first place. Maybe if I had asked God before I jumped, I wouldn't be where I am right now. But when we're talking about somebody else, we're quick to extend judgment. We're quick to have questions. That's not treating your neighbor as you treat yourself. This man was... He, he asked God, he said, well, he said, well, well, then challenging God, he had a question. He said, who is my neighbor? And now, let, let's be clear here. He wasn't asking this for information. This is what we call a challenging question. See, there's informational questions, and then there's challenging questions. There's how do I get to church? Informational question. And then there's why do I need to go to church? 
a challenging question. Come on now. It doesn't really have an answer. At least the speaker is not desiring an informational answer. He didn't expect Jesus to write down a list of all the people who was his, who was his neighbor. That's not what he was asking. What he was attempting to do was limit the amount of people that he needed to treat like his neighbor. That's what he was doing. It was a, it was a limiting question. God, I, I, I don't want to be responsible for everybody in the world. Lord, give me, give me a small sample of people that I'm responsible for to be my neighbor. And many of us don't have that. We don't ask that same question, but we just do it in operation. It's how we behave. We don't extend our favor in the direction of people that we don't expect or believe in our minds to be our neighbor. But my, my Bible says, be, be careful how you treat other people. You might be even entertaining an angel unaware. You never know who you touch or who comes into your view or who comes in your life that God is challenging you to see if you're going to treat them like your neighbor. And God being God, he'll send somebody that likely offends your sensibilities. <laughs> He'll send somebody in your direction that offends how you think. Oh, he might send somebody who didn't vote like you voted in the last election. But God put them in your purview because he was testing you to see if you would treat them like your neighbor. He might send the person that he knows already. You have preconceived notions about them because of how they used to live. Come on in here with me now. I know how she used to behave. She, she can't possibly need help. And even if she needed help, she doesn't deserve it because I know what she used to do. Sometimes God will challenge your own preconceived notions and your prejudices by sending somebody like that in your view, in your space, just to see if you'll treat them like your neighbor. Sometimes it's even family. Family members you don't get along with. Family members you got skirmishes with and you still mad. They made you mad in 1987 and you still mad. How many decades have passed and you're still angry? And it gets to a point that your anger exceeds your memory. You remember that you're mad, but you can't remember why you're mad. Because you've been mad so long. And send, God will send that person, that relative, right in your path when they need help to see if you'll treat them like your neighbor. Believe that's how God works. He, he challenges you. See, my, my wife and I talked for a while. It seems like even when we go on vacation, people who need something seem to find us. It's like they pick us out of the crowd. They pick us out of the group. And for some of us, some of us might say, well, that's bad luck. But I'm saying, I tell her, maybe God is testing us. I'm up here preaching about who's your neighbor. I'm up here preaching about how we should help others and how we should extend into others, those who are in need. And maybe that's God testing us to see if we're just talking about it. Are you being about it? Is that really who you are? 
So the next time someone comes into your space who challenges your sensibilities but needs help, just remind yourself that this might be a test from God himself. He may have sent an angel in my direction just to see how I would treat them, to see if I would extend unto them the same mercy and grace that God has extended unto me. Because God says unto us, we are forgiven at the same rate that we forgive. That's that's a tough standard right there. Uh, God extends his forgiveness in our direction at the, in the same manner that we extend our forgiveness in somebody else's direction. And maybe you're still holding sin in your heart because there's somebody you haven't released and let go and forgiven. You haven't let, them, you haven't let it go. But, but, but Pastor Christopher, you don't understand that they, they knew what they did and they, and they did it intentionally and, and they knew what I was dealing with, but they still did me wrong and they still harmed me. Baby, it's not my rule. You need to talk to Jesus. When the disciples tried to limit how often they forgive somebody, the Lord, somebody, the, the disciples said, yeah, do we get forgive seven times? The Lord said it ought to be 70 times seven. In other words, he said there shouldn't be a limit on the amount of time that you extend your forgiveness in their direction because just like my forgiveness, hallelujah, is unlimited, so should your forgiveness be unlimited. And maybe I'm stuck in a space from whence God has already delivered me because I have not released my forgiveness in their direction. I refuse to let anybody hold me back from everything that God has for me. Come on, say that with me. Say, I refuse to let anybody hold me back from what God has for me, I, 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 I can't let that happen. That means I'm going to have to let go of some things. And let me give you this. Sometimes you know they did it intentionally. Sometimes they did it to inflict the maximum amount of harm to you and to your emotions. And sometimes they haven't even apologized. But God said you need to forgive them. need to need to let it go. And sometimes, and let me give you this, and this is a hard one, to, hard one to swallow, the reason they haven't apologized is because they're not sorry. But you still have to let it go. You still have to forgive them. Because holding on to that situation has nothing to do with them. and has everything to do with you. I'm forgiving you because it's not about you. It's about me. I I need to forgive you. And because it's based on me, I need to forgive you even if you're not sorry. I need to forgive you even if you don't apologize. Because it's not about them. But it's all about you. And I have to release my forgiveness at the same rate that God has forgiven me. And I can't testify for you. But God didn't give me another chance. But he's given me so many chances. He's given me another chance. And then 
another chance, and then another chance, and then another chance. He's forgiven me more than 70 times seven. And because he's released forgiveness in my direction at such a rate, I have to forgive others in the same way when they're still in my face, when they're still looking at me funny, when they still didn't apologize because they're still not sorry. I still yet have to forgive. That's the expectation that God has for us regarding our neighbor. And and, and isn't it funny? The person that you hold in your heart and have not forgiven, that it seems like you keep seeing them. They keep appearing in your face. Everywhere you go, you see them at unexpected times. And you're wondering why they keep showing up, why they keep popping up here. They, I, I, I declined them as a friend on Facebook, but they're still popping up as people that you may know. Oh, y'all didn't get that. <laughs> it, it, it's like they won't go away. I tried to delete them. I tried to get rid of them, but, but it seems like they keep appearing in my, on my timeline. They're still in my face. I, I can't get rid of them. And instead of me getting mad at them, Maybe it's God bringing them into my view to remind me that you still need to forgive them. You can't put them away. I'm going to bring them back to your remembrance. I'm going to pop them up on your timeline. I'm going to put them up as friends you may know until you forgive them. Because we're talking about a season of giving. The key word of forgive is give. So in all your giving, you need to forgive. In all the things that you say you're doing for others, maybe this is the season, the only gift they need. The only gift that God is requiring of you is to forgive them. I'm about finished, but let me go back here to my story. So he's saying... He's saying to the man, let me give you this parable. I'm giving you this parable because there is a lesson embedded in the parable, but yet we can simply also examine the details. In looking at the man who fell amongst thieves, we understand that because of the purpose of the parable, he must have been a Jewish man. And I'll tell you why he must have been a Jewish man when we get back to the Samaritan. But just understand and believe me and trust me, it was a Jewish man who, of no fault of his own, while traveling, fell among thieves who who robbed him and took him of everything that he had and bruised him and left him on the side of the road. And I began to understand, I was like, Lord, why did you make him such a sympathetic character? There's nothing we can blame him for except leaving home. He left home to travel, and and he was robbed. It wasn't his fault. He was beaten. He wasn't his fault. He was left on the side of the road, and it wasn't his fault. And God said, I gave you that example. So when they're not so sympathetic, you still will forgive them. When they're not robbed, when they walked into it of their own fault, when they did it themselves, When they got themselves in their own situation by their own devices, he said, I still want you to help them. 
Well, I got, got a lot of silence right there. I still need you to help them. And how do I know I need to help them? Because it says in the Bible, my Bible, read it for yourself, that the priests by chance came by this man. And it wasn't by chance. It was by God's divine will. How did I happen to pass this man? God directed you. He, he put you, he put them in your way so that you would help them. So the next time somebody needs help, baby, it wasn't bad luck. But God put you there purposefully. Say that with me. Say purposefully. God put me there purposefully because he wanted me to help me. Says the priest, he went by and he saw this man and he passed him by on the other side. The Levite came also, the, the member of the ministerial staff, came by and saw the man. It may have been a member of the praise team. It may have been a member of the church administration that went by and saw this man and passed by on the other side. And it says it's the Samaritan. And why is it important that it says it's the Samaritan? Because they were not kinsmen. He had a right in his mind to say that Jewish people treat us bad. They themselves don't interact with us. Oh, you remember the woman by the well? She was by the well, and when Jesus spoke to her, she was surprised. She said, how is it you, a Jewish man, speaks to me who was a Samaritan because they understood the Jews didn't speak to the Samaritans. So, so when, it, it, when it juxtaposes these two men, the man who's a Samaritan that Jewish people don't speak to walks by a Jewish man and decides to help him. If you were doing better, the Samaritan could justify in his mind and say, if you didn't need help, and we were walking on this road, you wouldn't even speak to me. Oh, I'm coming down your street. Come, go, go, come with me. If, we, if you were healthy and walking on this road, you wouldn't even speak to me. But because God put you in my way, I'm going to help you. And I know somebody, I'm going to test your spirit this morning. It'd be hard for you to help somebody who don't speak to you. A person that doesn't even treat you like a fellow equal human being. It'd be hard. You'd have to dig deep in your heart to try and help somebody like that. But that's what the Samaritan did. A man who was taught not to speak to him, a man who was taught not to regard him as a fellow human being. He saw him on the way, he saw he needed help, and he decided, I'm going to extend my hand in your direction. But can I, can I talk for the man who had fallen amongst robbers for a minute as I close? It was no fault of his own. He just left the house and was robbed. Everything that he had was taken. And he's laying on the side of the road, and let's be clear here. He's being left bruised and broken for the purpose to die. If nobody intervenes, 
if nobody helps him, that man lays on the road and he dies where he is. And the thing that we need to understand is that often we're looking at ourselves as the priest or the Levite. Maybe even some of us who think a lot of ourselves think we're the Samaritan. But I came to ask you the question, what if you're the man? And if I can testify and and use my imagination for a moment, let me testify for the man. I'm broken and, and sitting here on the side of the road. But I was a cashier at the store you always go to. I tried engaging you in conversation, but you had no interest in saying anything else but hi and bye. My children went to the same school as your children go to. They know each other. In fact, I'm your neighbor. I'm just a door down from you. And I've seen you many times, and I've passed you along the way, but you've never taken interest in me. You don't even look at me as we pass. And you know that I've been struggling. My wife died last year. My children have grown up and left the house. And because I also lost my business, and because I lost my business and I lost my job, you've seen eviction notices posted on my door. And it's only by grace that I was able to pay it up and still remain your neighbor. But never once have you come to speak. Never once have you come to offer me any help. When my children were going up, you, you, never, you saw me struggling down the steps, and you didn't even extend your hand in my direction. I'm asking you this morning, who is your neighbor? I'm the girl that has five children by five different baby daddies. And you know I've always had to work to provide for my own. I haven't asked anybody to help me. In fact, you see me and pass me because we're in an apartment complex and my parking space is right next to yours. You've seen me struggle to get my five kids inside my car by myself. By chance, I've seen you walk by and you've heard me talk about how much I'm struggling for money. You've even seen the Good Samaritan program come to my house and drop off food. But never once have you offered me any assistance. Never once have you offered me any help. You never even invited me to your church. You didn't as much when I moved in as bring me a fruit basket. Saints, do you know who your neighbor is? I'm trying to talk for the man Because what I'm telling you is the people we're calling your neighbor, sometimes literally you pass them daily. You pass them weekly. And you don't as much as speak to them. And you know what? Sometimes it was God that was working through them to see if you would give them and by proxy give him some of your time but because you were too busy because you had other things to do because you said I'm going to mind my business 
and not worry about other people. You missed an opportunity to reach out to your neighbor. What Jesus says here is profound. And I'm finished. You can stand on your feet. What Jesus says here is profound. He asked the man of all of these people who came by and saw him. Which one of them was his neighbor? Jesus didn't say all of them were. And neither did the man. The man said the only one that is his neighbor is the one that had compassion on him. So I asked somebody today, where is your compassion? Where is your compassion? Because it, it, it would be hurtful to think that we're coming to church and we're saying we believe in God, but we don't have any neighbors because we don't show compassion to anybody. I, ho I hope that the messages that God sends through me are, are reaching you enough to understand that, that you become a neighbor because you show compassion and love to somebody else. Not because you come into a church not because you have a big Bible with the big letters and the red words. And I think the, the, to the truth of the matter, the question is not, are you a good neighbor? The question are, is, are you even a Christian? By this shall men know that you are my disciples. Because you have love. You have love. You have compassion one to another. So when I ask, who is my neighbor? The better question I should ask is, am I someone's neighbor? Because I'm not your neighbor if I don't show you compassion. It's ugly in this story, too, and Jesus made it ugly on purpose. The priest, we understand this when we're talking about a priest. That was probably that man's priest. I want you to get that. It wasn't like today. We got several churches. You can throw a rock in any direction and hit a church. That's not how it was back then. That priest was probably his priest. And he walked on the other side. That Levite was probably a member of his church. And he walked by on the other side. But in this parable, Jesus decided to take a man who was not even of his country. He wasn't a member of his church. May not have even believed in God. But because he had compassion, because he had compassion. He was the one that was determined to be his neighbor. So in the end, I, I'm a Christian and I love God and I, I love this church. But it's not about being Kojic. It's not about being a member of Bright Temple. It's not about where I walk and what I have. But God's boiling it down do I have compassion 
for my neighbor. And today, if you, if you want to challenge yourself, you need to ask yourself that question. Do I have compassion for my fellow man? Do I extend my hand to them as God extends his to me? Do I forgive them the same way that God forgives me? And better than that, can I see beyond where they are? And can I see them for who God sees them? Because that's the real question. If I, if I stop looking at where you are and start looking at where God says you shall be, for it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when he doth appear, we shall be like him. I see a future. I see potential. I see God's blessings and favor over every single one of you in here. And that's why I love you. That's why I have compassion. Because it's my desire for you that you see people like God sees them. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word on today that reminds us, that challenges us, that even in our giving, we can't forget to be forgiving. Even in our desire to have our needs met, we can't look past our neighbors, those that God puts in our view, and not extend grace and mercy and favor in their direction as well. And even as we do it as unto them, Jesus said, you do it as unto me. And Lord, we thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. For those of you who've been watching us virtually, we pray God's blessing, grace, and favor upon you until we shall see you. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Giveify. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.